Greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Pastor May J. G. the Senior, coming to you from On the Wall E Ministries here in Alpha Vista, Virginia. We thank God for you joining us on this evening uh, for our On the Wall E Ministries God class this evening. We're coming to you for the body of Christ. We've been studying that. We gave you our introduction uh, about two weeks ago before our vacation. We gave you our introduction and we went through a few things trying to get to understand that. Uh, the body of Christ is uh, what's important to us to remember is that it uh, represents us individually and collectively. We are uh, one member of the body of Christ, but we are collectively the body of Christ, which is the church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So we want to get through that today. We want to get into our uh, introduction uh, to our course uh, that we started on last uh, two weeks ago, but we want to get into our study today. If you download it on our uh, Facebook page, uh, you can touch the link at the bottom of the page. You can download our study guide. The class is much better if you follow the study guide. Download the study guide so that you can get the information needed to follow our course. So we're going to talk about now the body of Christ. There are certain things that we do somehow uh, that we learn um, that has somehow cheapened uh, the, the concept of the church. So we want to discuss that tonight. Uh, ways that we have often cheapened the church. We want to talk about that as we represent the body of Christ. So let us go into our uh, study this evening. Let's start off with a word of prayer. Father God, we do thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to come. And as we come, Lord, we ask that you would just touch your servant, touch my lips, that I may boldly speak those things you have laid upon my heart. Give me clarity of speech and understanding of those hearers that they might understand and hear the word, but not only hear the word, but become doers of your word. Lord, we thank you, Lord, and we praise you. In Christ Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Yes, the body of Christ. What are some of the ways that we seem to often cheapen uh, the meaning of the church in relationship to how we uh, share and fellowship one with another? So we're going to get into that today. We're going to look at uh, really this one, two, three, four, five, six uh, ways that uh, we somehow cheapen the church. Uh, in our independence, we ignore the church. In our pragmatism, we pollute the church. In our mission, sometimes we minimize the church, and then we elevate our traditions over God's truth, and then we value our preferences over God's priorities, and we practically define the church according to our own personal comfort. So we're going to break down uh, those six uh, concepts on why that we sometimes cheapen the meaning of the church. So in our independence, sometimes uh, we ignore the church, the meaning of the church. And, and uh, in our sinfulness, in our self-reliance, in our self-sufficiency as a people, sometimes uh, we sometimes ignore the meaning of the church. We can do that even in Christianity. We can do that thing on our own. We give this self-reliance. And is that the local church? Uh, is it a big deal? Yes, it's a big deal when we uh, think that we don't need one another. Isn't the church just a formality or unnecessary at this time? No, we need the body of Christ. We need churches of uh, people that depend on one another, 
ministry outreach churches that send out missions. We need churches that are preaching and teaching TV ministries, uh, uh, church ministries. We need food banks. We need all kinds of ministries that are related to the church. So we cannot uh, cheapen the understanding of the church, how it draws us together as members and put us in a place where we can work together to uh, to. Uh, Elevate the, 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 the true meaning of what Christ does, trying to bring us one together. So it's not just a picture that we see that sometimes the church uh, uh, independence is taken uh, for granted. Uh, I don't even think about our independence, but it's also it's, uh, immaturity. When we come to the place of understanding that we don't need each other, that's a, a immature type thinking. So now what's interesting, oftentimes we, uh, people talk about how that we don't need the church. We say that sometimes. They talk about it in a way that they are trying to show that I'm going all right. I'm growing without the church. I'm doing all right by myself. I don't need the church. No, we need the fellowship. We need the camaraderie. We need the body of Christ. We need uh, also the encouragement one from another. So they're trying to show some type of immaturity, saying that they are mature enough uh, to be on their own. They don't need other believers to be supportive of them, but we need one another. So he said that people say that I love Christ, but they don't like the church. You cannot love Christ and not like the church. You cannot say that. But then, well, there's a statement that people say that the church is the bride of Christ. So if we are the bride of Christ, how can we say that the bride don't like the husband or the husband don't like its bride? And that's not true. So how would you feel if you would say uh, that, your, that your wife uh, is unattractive to you or that you don't like your wife? How can the church be unattractive if it's the bride of Christ? If it's the bride of Christ, we should think highly of it and in a way that it will be helpful to one another and helpful to ourselves. And then we cannot uh, uh, disavow the fact that, that sometimes the church is painted a picture that sometimes is not pleasing to the public, but we still cannot disavow the necess necessity of the church. And then the church is the, that one that we have our dependence on. Our dependence is on the church, not the independence of us individually and collectively. We are not independent of God's church. We are dependent on his church. And if we think that we are not dependent upon the church, that's an immaturity. We are immature and that we think that the church is not a viable part of our relationship with God. So we need the church to have a viable relationship with God. We can find God without having a church meeting, yes. We can affiliate with God. We can pray to God without the church, yes. But the church is still viable in us bringing the relationship between mankind one to another and God. So in, uh, there is one way that we can cheapen the church again uh, by our independence, not dependent on one another. And we ignore the importance of the church. Then the other one is in our pragmatism, sometimes we pollute the church. And in our pragmatism, we pollute the church. Pragmatism sometimes is just a fixation on uh, uh, what works. And, and if something works, that means it's right. So pragmatism means that if it looks good, it must be good. Or if it works, it must be right. No, that's not how the church works. So it's dangerous because that, uh, that what we do this, we really 
uh, uh, saying it with the wrong motives. And in a church, we want to be able to reach many people as possible in all kinds of ways, many crowds, many people as possible. But in this process, we must appeal to the world and begin uh, to look like, uh, not like what the world looks like. We can't draw people to the church by looking like the world. We have to be distinct and different in order for to show that the world has a mindset, but God's church and his people has another mindset. So we cannot uh, pollute the church without pragmatism. And, and then as many people as possible that said that they should become part of a church and we have to distinct ourselves from what the world is. If we use the world to draw people to church, we have the wrong motive. If we are using what is popular to draw people to church, that's the wrong motive. He said, preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what we need to draw people to church. Now we are drawing them into the church and with its polluted ideals and polluted concepts and we think that we are doing God a favor by drawing in the crowds. But if the crowds come not with the right motives, not with the right teaching, with the right understanding, with the right view of who God is, that we pollute the church with our pragmatism, thinking just because it's working that is right, everything that works is not right because you can draw people with the wrong information. You can draw people with the wrong attraction. So we cannot attract people with things that are, are not according to the will of God just to have a crowd. So that's uh, what pragmatism is, thinking that if it works, it's all right. So that's one way that somehow we cheapen the meaning of the church. The church stands alone all by itself. You don't need tricks. You don't need gimmicks. God's word is enough to draw. He said that uh, Jesus Christ says, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people unto me. So the church, uh, you don't need to cheapen the church by uh, pragmatic ways of trying to draw people and get crowds into the church. So it also in our missions, sometimes we minimize the church. In our missions, sometimes we minimize the church. And uh, sometimes when you come to the church and you ask in church for help, and they say, well, we got a food bank, and we got a closing bank, and we got a, a help bank, and we got a service organization, and we got other ministries. But sometimes we do that, uh, those missions, sometimes we leave out uh, the missions part of the church. And that's what minimize the, the, the reality of what the church is all about. So in our missions, uh, this is tragic that we minimize the importance of church sometimes or missions in our church. Historically, you look at it, the church has oftentimes, even recently, become so engrossed, so busy doing so many other different things in politics and every other way, that disciple making and missions just kind of get left out of the equation. We get caught up in having a venue or having a, uh, a program on TV or whatever, and the TV program becomes more than saving souls. That's what not, you cannot minimize the importance of missions in the church. That's what happens when uh, we get all sprung up in all kinds of organizations, they, uh, missions organizations, this and that. And I'm not saying that all those things are not needed, they are not bad and in the means, uh, but you are not saying that. But what happens is sometimes the church gets to the point where they don't think that that's their mission. 
It's our mission to be able to go out and help the needy and to serve those that are going through. See, what happens is oftentimes these organizations end up doing uh, it apart from the church. And the church doesn't have any uh, uh, avenue in uh, those interests of serving those people that are in need. And, and, and that's foolish for us to think that those organizations can take 100% of the load of helping the needy and doing the work that the church is supposed to do. The church is the only agent and the only avenue that God has promised to bless the advancement of the Great Commission and to reach those that are in need. We can bypass the church, and, but we think that we are doing God a favor. We cannot do that. I was sitting around uh, not long ago in a group of leaders that were talking about a uh, largest uh, Christian organization, and they were talking about what they were doing to help those that are in need. And sometimes they get it twisted how they think their priorities are. And they were saying that, uh, you know, that, that we've missed it. We've missed it uh, how we uh, are about to do the work that God has called us to do. Basically, what we've done is they have said that, that we can do it and you can help us. We missed the point of the process that began the discussion back that you said that uh, we can do it and they can do it. No, we can do it together, but God wants us to work together. We can do that, but the thing is we got to be able to work this thing out together. That you know that we, we missed the opportunity to do the work and to serve those that are around us by, by missing out on what the mission of the church is. Another tendency is along with missions is that we see that the mission organizations again, and I'm not bashing those organizations, I think that there is a place here. The church should be the platform that we talk about the church. And I see those mission organizations talking about their planning churches and planning buildings. See, the church can only plan a church, an organization can plan a building, but you gotta realize the church is more than a building. It's more than an organization. The church is an organism, a living body. A building or two people cannot necessarily qualify for a church without the Spirit of God being there. And he saw one the other day that says for $20, you can be able to plant a church. They think that you can plant a church with $20, but it takes God in the process. It doesn't take just money. It doesn't take an idea. It, just, it takes God to be able to do that. And only God appointed uh, churches can uh, to be able to plant other churches. You just can't plant a church because you're an organization or a group or you're a, 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 an industry that you expect to go out and put money down and build a building and because that building now uh, is an institution that you call a church, the church is more than a building. It has to be body of believers that have got a central cause that they have the same purpose in mind one with another. When we come together as one mind and body in Christ, that's what makes us a church, not the building. So sometimes organizations can build buildings, but it's up to the church to be able to go out and call sinners into salvation. That's our job, that's our duty. So the church must be more mission-minded. Don't minimize the effectiveness of a church or by what, by, uh, by us, uh, thinking that missions are not our major purpose. Our major purpose is to spread the word, but also alleviate suffering in the world. Jesus said that uh, he came up and opened the book of Isaiah, and when he read the book of Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
and he says it's to preach the gospel, but to heal the brokenhearted, to, to set captives free. Our duty goes further than just the message, but it goes into the physical and spiritual needs of those that are in our community. Then the other way to uh, that somehow we've cheapened uh, the meaning of the church is that we've elevated our traditions over God's truth. Sometimes we elevate our traditions, uh, the church's statutes, the church's uh, uh, bill of rights, or the church's constitution. All of those things have become more important uh, uh, than God's truth in his word. So we minimize the church even when we elevate our traditions over God's truth. And this is humbling sometimes when you really think about it. Much of what we think of what we think of the church is far more based on our traditions than it is on God's word. We said there's the church and we point at a building. And when we see in God's word, there's not one mention of a building in God's word. We look at, oh, isn't that a beautiful church? And we don't understand the people's hearts that are in the building. A beautiful building can have bitter hearts. So you got to understand, we look at a building and we pointed and said that there's, there's a church, but there's not a commandment that he says that a church has to be a certain size or a certain way or a certain beauty or a certain anything in order for it to be called a church. A church is just where a few believers come together to be able to carry out the word of God. So we're saying here again that in the church, if you're going to take away some of those, that program stuff and all of that other stuff, that's when you start understanding what the purpose of the church is. All of these programs does not elevate God's truth. If it's not elevating God's truth, it's just a program or it's just a service. Some people say we have had revivals in the last 10 years. You might have had one or two revivals. Revival services does not equate to revivals. Just because you had a series of services does not equate to revival. A revival has to be a change of heart uh, by, by the word of God being preached, that it, that, that it convicts the heart and, and gets you in a position of repentance to change. So if there is no change, there was no revival. We saw, yeah, we had a great revival, but your heart is still the same and you're stuck in your own traditions rather than going along with the truth of God's word. You did not have a revival. It was a series of revival services. So somehow along the way that they began to believe that the spirit of God and the word of God and the people of God is enough to accomplish the mission of God. And that's enough for them. And we got to get to that point. Everything about God is enough for us. We don't need anything else in our traditions to be able to satisfy what God has established for us as a church. We, our traditions can fade away. He said that heaven and earth will pass away, but his word, the truth of his word, shall not pass away. So somehow we, um, uh, we cheapen the church by, by us elevating the, the traditions of the church over God's truth. Then another way is we value our preferences over God's priorities. Our preferences become first seat, and somehow God's priorities become the second seat. See, we elevate our traditions over God's truth, but we also we value what? Our preferences over God's priorities. See, I know this obviously, I think, and I hope that you can tell that there is the real wrestling 
uh, going on in our heart on things. That, but there is over 500 million people in the world today that is hungry at the verge of starvation. And they lack food. They lack water. They lack basic medical needs. Children who are on the verge of starvation. And they lack all of the things in dying of diseases and diarrhea. And those are who live that will suffer from brain damage because of the lack of food and pro deficiencies and all kinds of things. Others will be forced to be able to sold into labor, forced labor camps, and, and 150 million of them become orphans today. And yes, the way that we do church, we find ourselves saying, well, you know, but we need a nicer parking lot. We need to build a new fellowship room. We need to take care of the pastor's study and build him a a new uh, study or buy him a new vehicle or a new car. Ain't nothing wrong with all of that stuff. But the thing about it is, what is important in the heart of God? Is God concerned more about the building and all of this other stuff? God's priorities is more than our preferences. We need to forget about our preferences and start looking at what the priorities of God is. So what is important is the heart of God. What happens when we have to change our churches and prioritize what is important in the heart of God more than our preferences? What will happen? Things will start radically changing around us. When we start putting God first, we always tell the world to seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, but we as churches need to be able to get our preferences behind God's priorities, make his priorities first, set his priorities first, and then all other things will be added. So we need to understand that once we get his priorities ahead of our preferences, then we will be able to have the rich fellowship with God. But the cheapen the church is to be able to make our preferences over top of his priorities. And then another way is that we practically define the church according to our own personal comforts and beliefs. See, if we are not careful, we'll try to redefine the church according to our own personal beliefs. We say a church is good if it makes you feel good. Ain't that right? It's common to say that we know that, uh, that, that, that we said sometimes it's good that if it makes you feel good. Remember I said everything that, that sounds good is not good, and, and, and everything that feels good is not good either. So it's common to say that sometimes, but we know the marketplace. People just shock and hop for the church to church to get the one to make them feel better. And somehow we've um, lowered ourselves to the point of satisfying those needs that they believe that we'll be able to draw them in. So we satisfy the needs of those individuals that will be able to satisfy them and to draw them in. So, so the thing about it is people... What's going to work for us? What, what, what will work for us to be able to get the church in a place where God uh, will come back looking for that church without spot or wrinkle? What do we do? See, when I drive uh, on a church in a nice looking parking lot, and then you walk in the door and you get handed a cup of coffee or a latte, you know, and, and then you want to understand that's not what's important. You got churches now building everything except trying to send out missions. Why are we building bigger buildings when we can do satellite churches, plant churches somewhere in an area where people don't have uh, the, the, the privilege of having uh, a, 
a good church or a good place to come and worship and to study. See, we got to understand that. See, I want to be able to listen to an entertaining service that leaves me feeling good. That's some people say that and gets me out of church early so that I can get home in time. So all of those things so that I can beat the traffic. All of the reasons sometimes why we come in uh, to a church, our personal comforts will override what God, a word, is defining us to do. See, as brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, and, 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 and we should be able to shout out loud that we're missing the whole point when we think that our preferences come ahead of what God or our personal comforts come ahead of what God is telling us that we should do as a church. We are missing that whole point. So we should give up on our traditions, give up on our uh, uh, reorder, our preferences, and then let go of all of our, our church comforts and everything. So the church is not about uh, uh, sipping on lattes and, and joining organization. The church is about sacrificing our lives to be able to take the gospel of the glory of Christ to the ends of the world. That's what we should be about, not just getting stuck in doing church as usual. You know, there's a way that you can do church that, that becomes so familiar until you forget all about, is it worship or am I uh, replicating something so uh, so much that it becomes some natural, uh, non-conscious movement. Church has to be a conscious decision, a conscious movement. You just can't be in church and operating unconsciously. And, uh, and we have to understand that church becomes more about what we need to do to draw people to Christ, not people uh, getting people understanding that uh, that that we should ignore the church and we should pollute the church or whether we should have our traditions over God's preferences and our preferences over his priorities and then we should be able to, uh, to look at our own personal comforts rather than looking to what God wants us to do. So why? Why should we cherish the church? Why? Why should we cherish the church? So we, we can't cheapen the church. So we need to ask the question, the goal is to ask, what is the church? What is the essence of the church? What is the essential in the church? And then think about the stuff that, that, that we take uh, to the ends of uh, and invertibly, unknowingly, sometimes blindly cheapening the church and why we must cherish the church because we love the glory of God. We should uh, cherish the church because what we love about the glory of God. And then there are three reasons. Number one is because we love the glory of God. That's huge. The very beginning, God's very nature in and himself has been provided as a platform from the beginning. God's very nature in and himself has provided us a platform for our understanding of community and that we love that we should have one with another. God's desire is that his glory is to be the foundation of the church community. And that's what it is in the world today. Listen to what Jesus said uh, that when he was on the cross in John 17, 20 and 23. He said they uh, that they may be what? One, talking about the people of God, be one just as you and I, the Father, and you and I are in me, and I in you, and they also may be in us, so that they, so the world might believe that you have sent me. So that, that that's astonishing verse. God's glory, 
just as you, the Father, and me are one, we are united together and we have this relationship. We want them to be one like us. So that's the desire of God, that we be in oneness, one with another, as he is one with the Father. When that happens, God's desire for community to be a reflection of his glory in the world. That's what happens. Our desire must be uh, the reflection of God's glory in the world. When that happens, when we come into a community that is like that, the world will know that God has sent us. When we are walking, uh, I think I'm working on a message uh, for Sunday trying to get us back in communion one with another. When the world see us working in concert with one another, that's the sign that the world will know that we are his. He said that the world will know that we are his when we learn to love one another. So as a lost world uh, that, that cannot see God, they cannot see the church. See, when we see the unity in the church, uh, in the community in the church, they will begin to see the love of God toward the Son that is shared between us as members in one body. When they see division and the cheapening of the church, then they see the cheapening of God. God cannot be important if it's not important to us. How can we tell the world how important God is, how valuable God is to them, when we cheapen everything about our relationship with him? So we want, like Ephesians 6 says, glory in the church and glory to God in the church. So we should have glory in God in the church that will be able to help those people cherish the church more because we adore the Son of God. Why do we cherish the church? Because we adore the Son of God. So we cherish the church because we love the glory of God. And second, because we adore the Son of God. Jesus establishes the church, and, and he's the one who builds the church. In Matthew 16, he told Peter, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So he purchased the church with his own blood. He said with his stripes that he purchased the church with his own blood. And that's enough that to say we've got to give ourselves to the church and love the church and devote our lives to confront the church just like Jesus did and live to let others know about the salvation that is available to them. That's what we need to do. And Jesus identifies himself with the church in uh, Acts 20, 28. And then I love Acts 9 when Jesus confronts Saul and Paul. He said, why persecuted thou me? So Saul didn't do anything directly to Jesus in the flesh. Who was Saul persecuting? He was persecuting the church. So isn't that good? Like you mess with the church, you mess with me. That's what Jesus is telling us. Then that's a good thing about it. And then we uh, sometimes we, we should cherish the church because we treasure the spirit of God. Why do we treasure the church? Because we treasure the spirit of God. We adore the son of God because we treasure the spirit of God. We are going to talk about that in a minute, but God's spirit dwells in us. 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that ye are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And that's plural, you, in the church, in us all, individually and collectively. When we see the imagery in Ephesians through, we talk about more lately, but God's spirit dwells in us as a church. 
And then we also cherish the church because uh, we value the gospel of God. Uh, we, uh, the, the church was designed uh, by God to declare the gospel to the world. And that's the whole point of the Great Commission. And the gospel is declared through the church that, uh, that we'll talk about. The church is designed to what? Defend the gospel. Paul exhorts. He said, God the gospel and good deposit entrusted in you. Second Timothy 1 and 13 and 14. Praise God that for centuries that we have had men and women in the church that have been faithfully passed for centuries the gospel on from one generation to another. And like we didn't come uh, to the scene in twenty and 21st century and start doing this, like we were in, indebted to many of our brothers and sisters that have gone on before us and have defended the gospel with their lives which we celebrated. And then the church is designed to display the gospel. The church is uh, designed to show visible evidence of the gospel. The church is designed to display the love of God. I am firmly convinced that if we talk about it for a minute, but if we distort the church, we will distort the gospel, and God has designed the church in a way that it would be a demonstration of the gospel. But if we distort the demonstration, we will distort the gospel. When once we distort the gospel, we distort the church. And when we distort this church, we distort the gospel. You have to be uh, uh, on point and have the right intent when you start talking to people about uh, how we should have that, the value of the gospel of God in the church to be able to advance the kingdom of God. Then another is that we should cherish the church because uh, we desire the satisfaction in our lives. See, we should uh, so little uh, about self-serving motivation should be in the church. We cherish the church uh, for our own good. And ain't nothing wrong with that. So in Genesis, God created us to enjoy him. And we created in his image and his likeness to know him and to enjoy him. But don't miss this. God also created us to relate to him and to know him, to enjoy him, and to be able to experience life with others. He didn't make us just to have a relationship with him. His relationship with him is dependent on our relationship with one another. Our relationship with one another is dependent on our relationship with him. We can't love one another without loving him, and we can't love uh, him without having the love of one another. So it's dependent upon one another. It's a community. We need the community. And I think this misses sometimes when people talk about it, when people feel alone. Well, you're not alone. You got God, and that's enough. That, that's fine to tell people they got God, but God gave them us, and God gave us them so that we could be there for one another. See, there is a sense of which, yes, God is sufficient, but God has created us to be not alone in the world because he created Eve to be with Adam. So he knew that we could not live alone. So he created us to be with one another. He created us uh, to experience life, but it's not good for us to be alone. So he says that we need each other. 
So I came across this study that said 7,000 lives had, uh, was over nine years and listened to what they found. The most isolated people in the world were three times more likely to die than those that had the strongest relational connections with one another. Even people who had good health uh, that lived uh, uh, shorter than people who had bad health that with those who had what? Good relationship. So even people that had bad relationships with smoking and eating and obesity and, and, and alcoholism and bad health and all kinds of habits, but if they had strong social ties with community, somehow they still live longer. So God has it built into our DNA that we have relational needs one with another. So the takeaway is better for us to be able to be with one another and to survive and lean on one another and then try to make it alone. So we need to understand that. So God has a takeaway from us that we need to have a place of having fellowship one with another. So we need to be there. So it's because God has created us to have a sharing relationship one with another. And that's what he desired in order for us to cherish the church. And then we should cherish the church because we want salvation for the lost. Uh, we want salvation for the lost, those lives that are out there. We cherish the church because we have a desire to have those that are lost to be saved. Over and over again in scripture, we are uh, we see our, our love for one another in the community and in the church tied to the demonstration of that love that who don't know Christ. And then John 13, 34 and 35, it says that it makes it very clear. Listen, in Acts 5, the reputation of the church was highly esteemed and multitudes of men and women were, were coming in. Uh, you see the peace of the church connected to the growth of the church in Acts 9 and 31. This is why ultimately that we must cherish the church because we want to multiply the gospel in every corner of every tribe of every human being across the earth. Uh, Revelation 5, 9, and 10 tells us that. It's God's desire that a church is giving him praise for every tribe, for every people, every language, and, and we want the gospel to get to them because we have a desire that none is lost. And that's what the churches, we should cherish uh, the church because of that fact itself. The way that we get to them is through what? The church is the avenue to get those that are lost and have them saved. For all of these reasons, we want to not cheapen the church, but we want to cherish the church. Make the church the important part of your life. Make the gospel of Jesus Christ the most important part of your life. When you seek him first, he says, all other things will be added unto your life. So where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? So here's what we're going to do on our next class. First, we are going to look at four questions. Who is the church? We want to know what God's definition of the church is. Then we want to know how God defines his people uh, in a, a word, uh, in his word, because he didn't say anywhere Pay $15 and you'll get a church. He didn't tell us to go and get you a church and a building and then build a church. You get the people and then God will provide, won't he? So we want to be responsible. 
biblically responsible with how we define the church. Then second, what does the church do? This uh, There is a lot of things that we already mentioned that we do, uh, the church, that God never said to do. So what does the church do? We want to follow God's design for the church. That's what we want to do. Thirdly, we are going to ask, how is the church led? Uh, we want to clarify that on, uh, we want, want clarity on the organization of the church. We want to know is how is God ordained in the structure for the church and, uh, or is it just fluid? Huh? Is it totally just organic? Or I guess that the popular word today, or is it structural? Is it structure good or is structure bad? Then we're going to end with the question, where is the church going? We want confidence in the future of the church. So we're going to talk about that. Those questions on our next class, we're going to go through those steps of, of understanding exactly where we are because we need to know where do we go from here. So we thank God for you joining us on this evening. We thank God for hopefully we got through our first stage. So turn to page, uh, we're going to start at page seven in our study guide on our next class study guide. So where do we go from here? How, once we understood what, what God's desire for the church is, so now we got to understand how do we take this information and do the best we can uh, to advance the kingdom of God by doing what he's instructed us to do as a church. So we thank God for you joining us on this evening as we get into the study in the body of Christ. We want each of us to have a clear understanding of how God has established his church here on earth so that it can be the vessel or the vehicle by which the word of God, by the salvation of mankind, is spread across the world. Told us in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, he said, all power is given unto you. He said, that go ye therefore into all there, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I'll be with you always, even until the end of the world age. So we need to be about our Father's business. We need to be about spreading the gospel, telling someone about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our mission. That's the purpose that the church was established, to be able to reconcile all lost individuals back to the Father. So what are we doing? What are you doing to be able to advance the kingdom of God? Are you taking care of your little corner? Each of us have a little corner to take care of. Only thing you need to do is take care of that corner that you have, and then all of a sudden we'll see that everybody is working, and that becomes the church. All of us are working together for a concerted effort to advance the kingdom of God, and that's what becomes a powerful church. Individual, that's what I like about uh, the National Day of Prayer, and I like about it as a Gideon. We'd have prayer Saturday where all of the camps and the Gideons will come together and pray on Saturday. We were praying individually, but we are also praying, what, collectively. When we come together in our individual worship, when we come together in our corporate worship, we are coming together as a complete body of Christ, coming together as one body, scattered around the whole world, but we are still in oneness because we still believe in the one Savior and the one Lord. 
that will give us eternal life. God bless you. May heaven ever smile upon you. We'll see you on next week. And let us bow. Father God, we do thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to come. And hopefully we'll say some things to help us to think about uh, the purpose of the church and, and the body of Christ and how we can be an impact and a part of this great work that God has called us to do. We want to be just one member in the body, uh, allowing us to be able to express ourselves and to be able to serve and to do the work that God has gifted us to do in whatever He area that he blessed us to be in. But let us be willing vessels to be able to go out and do what God has called us to do, to be able to serve mankind, to, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the ends of the world, and to be able to help alleviate some suffering. God bless you. May heaven ever smile upon you. We'll see you again on uh, Sunday morning at 9 o'clock for our Sunday school hour, then come uh, following at 9.30. Uh, for our worship hour. God bless you. May heaven ever smile upon you. And we'll see you again on next Friday evening when we started discussing uh, those items that we uh, had in our uh, review this afternoon. God bless you again. See you again.